You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Today I had a double cheeseburger for lunch, a double bacon cheeseburger to be specific. And that's, I'd say, probably the best type of cheeseburger. Um, you know, the meat and the cheese are good. When you double them up and you make sure the cheese is actually also doubled, throw bacon on it, cannot be beat. So that's what I had. That's not why I'm talking about it. The reason I'm talking about it is because it reminded me of the work that I did when I was in college uh, for, a, um, for a ranch near Texas A&M University. And it was a great experience. I got to do a lot of cool things. I got to kind of like moonlight as a vet because the owner of the ranch was a vet. So we did, you know, work that wouldn't have happened at a regular ranch. It was fun. It was nice to go out there and drive the tractor, see the beautiful scenery, work with the animals and kind of get like a, a break from the the hustle of the, the campus. But the best part about this, aside from what I learned about agriculture and, and the skills I learned from working on the ranch and the relaxing times that I had driving the tractor around hauling cattle was I got to witness horrible leadership. And I like to think that made me a better leader. The lady I worked for, we'll call her Darlene because that was her name. She was a wretched, grumpy lady who would constantly belittle us, question our intelligence, uh, and verbally abuse me and the other ranch heads. Well, this would not only harm us, the employees, but it would harm her as the leader and the owner of the business. And this is exactly how it harmed her in a pretty big way. So one day she tells me, hey, we're running low on feet. You need to drive to Brian, which was about a 45 minute drive. You need to go and get me a month's worth of feed. Now that means I got to take the big truck with the big trailer. I go, okay, I'm happy to do that. You know, I'm going to drive this F-350 massive truck with a tremendous flatbed trailer attached to it. And I go, all right, I'm happy to do this, Darlene, but I want you to know I've never done this before. He says, are you stupid or what? You can't just go pick up some feed. Do I need to come do it for you? And she's this old lady that walks with a cane, right? So when she says, I'm going to do it for you, it's even more insulting. Like, all right, no, Darlene, you don't need to do it for me. I'll go, I'll get it. Kim, you're right. I guess you've convinced me now it can't be that hard. I just go to the store, pick it up, and then I'm, I'm good. He goes, they load the trailer for you and everything. It ain't even that hard. I go, okay, you're right. So I drive over there. It's fine. I make it to the store fine. I go in and I say, hey, you know, we need to go into the co-op. You know, I need this many bags of feed, this many bales of hay, et cetera, et cetera. And they go, you want us to load it all on up there for you? I go, yes, sir, you're the expert. All right, they load it up. They say, there you go, you're good to go. I start driving back. I don't make it out of Bryan, and it's not a small town. You know, there's about two stoplights before I get out of town from the co-op. I turn right onto the highway, and you again, this is not like an interstate. We're talking about a two-lane blacktop highway. I turn right, and as I turn right through the intersection, all the bags of feed fall off the back of the flatbed trailer, bust open into the intersection. So now I'm scrambling because I look like an idiot. I I have to leave the 
busted up bags of feed, but I don't want to litter. So I grab the paper bags that are empty now and don't have any feed in them. I'm lifting up the big, heavy 50-pound bags that I can find, putting them back on the trailer. I can't quite stack them right because if you've ever seen a bag of feed, they come to you. They look like a dang concrete block. But once you move them, then they shake and they're loose and you can't hold them right. So now they're all loose and you can't hold them right. I'm stacking them back. As I'm stacking them up, which is, must have taken quite some time, Darlene calls me up. Where the hell are you? I told you to go get to the feed. It's only 45 minutes to the feed store. You've been gone for an hour, 30 minutes, and you're not back yet. And I, go, oh, uh, I had to tell her, you know, what happened, but I said, I'm going to wait till I get back. I wait till I get back. We counted the feed bags. Turns out I lost 50% of them. Now, she was paying me, I think, $8 an hour at the time. So there was no way I could afford to replace these feed bags, <laughs> which I would have done if I had the means. I guess I felt like it was my fault. The point of that is who suffers the most from bad leadership? The leader. She's the one who had to pay. She's the one who lost half a month's worth of feed or whatever it was. I suffered for sure. You know, I felt bad about myself. I felt like an idiot. I didn't learn anything, but she suffered more. Today, we have someone on the podcast who's a great leader, and he doesn't suffer those hard lessons. Uh, he's also wonderfully creative and has a lot of wisdom for business owners that I think you're going to get a lot of value of listening to. Ward Andrews is the champion of creativity and innovation through business leadership and higher education. As the CEO and design director at Draw Backwards, he's worked with hundreds of the world's biggest brands, including American Express, Choice Hotels, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Sony, Intel, so many more. His brand and design projects have garnered Emmy Awards. You've seen his work on ESPN, TNT, New York Times, Sports Illustrated. For the past decade, Ward has been part of the honors faculty at the Design School at Arizona State University teaching creativity, design, thinking, and entrepreneurship we talked about creating and maintaining a clear vision with your team, allowing employees to fail, but expecting them to succeed at the highest standard, leading creative people to be high performing without killing their creative spirit and identifying the default settings in our life and business that aren't serving us and how to change that. Stick around. You'll laugh a little bit. You'll learn a little bit. I'm Sanger Smith. As most of the time, but not today, I'm usually with my dad, Sean Smith, but he's not here. This is Decidedly. So, Ward, you were telling me how you learned to play the piano or taught yourself to play the piano, yeah. which is more impressive than learning. And you said, I start with the end goal in mind. Yep. What was the end goal for you? So for me, I wanted to be able to write electronic music. So I was listening to this type of music, global communication, C-Feel, Future Sound of London, bands I like, Orbital, and then more recently, Skrillex, Diplo. So how do they do it, right? And so for me, I was sort of unpacking it in my mind. The more I learned about the software and how to play, I could, I could listen to the track and I could visualize the layers. I was like, oh, okay, they're Damn. just playing that bass line. Oh, okay, they're in D major, D minor. Okay, I need to know how to play that. 
So I just had to slowly learn a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, Kygo did a class on how to write electronic music. So I like bought the class. Um, and it's just like this, uh, it's my intention. Like I told you, and then how will I get there? How can I slowly work the process of learning to get to where I want to be? But I don't need everything else. I don't need to have a piano teacher and learn how to read sheet music. Like, okay, I why not, never need to learn Because it's unnecessary. It, or the end see, goal that the you thing. set. Yeah, because my goal is yeah. I need to be able to write music. And if I can play the chords and record it right into my software, I never have to learn notation. So there's not a there's there's no need for sheet music if you're writing it electronically because you're inputting the you know I'm just playing uh, it in keystrokes the funny into thing is, the program. Yeah, the software itself. Like if I wanted to, after I composed my piece, if I wanted to, I could click a button and say export out the sheet music and it would write it for and me. It'd be, based useless. On it'd be useless to you, but you could have other people play. It. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. When you're when you're going out to to learn something as 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 big as that, and you say I'm not I'm going to be my own teacher, I'm going to be my own guide. How do you okay. make good decisions about where to get information, where not to get information? Obviously, if someone's demonstrated success, like artists that you've listened to, that's a really good yeah. source. But I'm imagining there's other sources that you're looking at as well. Yeah, I think we do this a lot in life. It's social proof, right? You can see how many reviews, how many ratings. Uh, when I go to a new city, I travel a lot. I travel about a third of the year and it's, it's Yelp, right? It's looking at reviews and the volume of reviews, the amount of reviews, the specific reviews. What did someone get out of that? Is that what I want to get out of it? Oh, that matches. Okay. I'm going to try this. So there's a lot of trial and error. And sometimes you'll run across online class or YouTube video. It's terrible, right? But learn, move on. The other thing I did is I hired a guy, his name's Robert, and he he's in a band and he plays keyboard and he uses the same software that I do. And once a week he'd come over and kind of see how I was doing and, and teach me more. So I had that guidance as well. So I had to do the work, but then I could get some help from some coaching or from yeah. you know, a teacher. So that how long too. did it, how long did it take you from the time you started to the time that you felt like you had achieved what you set out to do? Oh, I love how you asked that because I had to set a goal for myself when I started. And I really wanted to have an ambitious goal. So I started learning in, you know, probably 2021, beginning of 2021. I said, I'm going to do this. I said, by the end of the year, I'm going to release an EP. I'm going to release a three track EP. It's going to be on Spotify, Apple Music. That was the goal. And then we were working toward that goal. So as we get into March, April, it's like, man, I think I've got my three tracks. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, and so there, but I I kept pushing because I said, I need to be able to release this. I didn't know how long it would take to release. I didn't know that whole process either. I had to teach myself Mm. that. So we get into like September and I said, man, we, we gotta be done. And then I thought, well, you know, the sound of these three tracks that we've created, they kind of sound a little spooky and they kind of sound like what you would hear on stranger things. Okay. And we got to release this for, by Halloween. Like, yeah, that's what this is going to be. And I talked with Robert. We actually added some more like organ sounds to it and, and tweaked it to make it even a little more spooky. And then I found this service through SoundCloud where if I upload that stuff to SoundCloud and I subscribe to their pro, they will actually publish it to the streaming services. So on October 1st of 2021, I released my three track EP and we were done like mission accomplished. 
So now is it something that you continue as a hobby or, or yeah. did, once you pass the finish line where you kind of look around like, well, what do I do now? Not at all. So that was just the starting point. It's like, wow, I released a three track EP. Uh, if anyone wants to listen to it, the band named Sensoria Project and the name of the EP is called Haunted. So you can find it on any streaming music streaming service. That was just the beginning. So then I thought, okay, well, we got to that point and I did it and I did it in this style and I released this. I would love to release a full length album, but man, I'm such a novice. I want to learn different styles. I want to get more gear. I want to just explore. So I gave myself permission to just push out all kinds of experiments on SoundCloud. I'm not publishing them like officially to a streaming service as like an album or a single release. But if you go on SoundCloud, Sensoria Project, I probably got a dozen tracks and they're just experiments of all different styles. I even tried some with vocals and I'm not really a singer, but I could use a vocorder and I can tune my voice to make sure it's in tune and did a cover of Phil Collins in the air tonight. It was pretty fun. That's Uh, pretty sweet. Just trying things, just experimenting. That's awesome. That's a struggle that I've had. And I I find a lot of entrepreneurs have is like going out and setting a goal is fairly simple. Or first it's identifying an area of life that we want to learn about or conquer, right? Now that's easy. There's a, I could come up with a list of a hundred tomorrow. Then yep. when I start to set a goal, it's like that whittles it down, you know, because then it's more serious. Once the goal is set, oh, okay, achieving the goal, I'm going to achieve it. It's got to be, it might be really hard, but I'm going to achieve it. The yeah. struggle that I've faced in the past, I did this with triathlon, is I achieved the goal and then I go, all right, now what? Am I really going to do this forever or can I move on now? And if I move on, is that like a shameful thing or is it okay to just say, hey, I did it for a period and I'm over with it and that's fine too. So did you keep up with your triathlon or did you switch out to something else? I, no, I'm done. (laughs) It's, it's, I'm so done with it. I did two Ironman races with uh, really minimal recovery, like three weeks in between them. And, um, that was the goal for me was, well, I want to do, I want to do an Ironman because that's the biggest triathlon that I could think of. And then of course yeah. I start doing Amazing. it. And I learned there's, I learned there's so much more. There's crazy people who do like six of them back to back. And then <laughs> I met a few of my friends that had done an Ironman and I look at them. I'm like, I think I'm tougher than you. I'll do two. And then that was my thing. Like, I just wanted to one up my buddies. And, uh, yeah. once I got done with that one, I did one more. Um, but by the time that one came around, I was like, had didn't have the motivation to train for it. And I thought, I don't want to like spend money on bikes and, and all this stuff. Like, this is getting expensive. I just did it to thumb my nose, thumb, you know, put it in my friend's noses. But at this point, no, I, every now well, and then, every couple months I'll go out on a bike ride and say, okay, this is fun. This is pretty, but I, I think I'm good if I never do a triathlon again. It's awesome. At the same Funny time. Funny motivation. All kinds of motivation and what they can, crazy things. Motivation well, the guys that are, the guys that are elite, just like in anything, are, are insanely impressive. But I think it's important to have like one thing and say, okay, if I'm going to pursue hobbies and, and conquer the, you know, conquer these areas, uh, these unknown territories in life, whether it's a creative area, athletic area, uh, maybe an area in business. I will, I want personally to at least have one that I'm going to stick with forever. So is music that for you where you can say, Hey, uh, this is a lifelong passion that I could 
continue to pursue or wow or is there something that else question. that you think no it actually is but i started way late so when i was in high That's school okay. i had a little casio keyboard oh. and i would mess around with it and i thought oh do i want to do this like do i want to go into a career in music or yeah. music production or something like that and i didn't i i chose a path where i went to get a, a fine arts degree ended up in a graphic design track and then came out of school in the mid nineties when the web browser appeared on the scene and started designing websites and then software products and then mobile app products and started my studio 20 years ago, going on 20 year anniversary this year. We're a software product firm. We're a user experience firm and we design interfaces, portals for major companies, booking workflows for major hotel chains. Um, financial services interfaces for global financial services companies. Like that's what it led into. And then music took a pause. Like that's, I went down that road. I went down the user experience studio road, but we're at a point where the studio is doing great. And there's a team that's running that. And I have a bit of time where I can dedicate a little bit of time every week to music. And then in the future, probably dedicate more time. So I think music is going to go, go the distance. Uh, and it's just always been a passion to listen to it, to go to concerts, go to shows. And now I, I have this new level where I'm creating my own. So yeah, it's going to stick with me for sure. Oh, that's exciting. I, I, nice. I think it's important for us to have that, that uh, a creative outlet that we pursue. So for you, when you started your business, was did you view that as a creative outlet or did you view it as a professional outlet primarily? I love that. So I worked as a creative director at a couple different agencies before I started my own. And I really was moving into technology and I saw where things were going and it was just different from the way the agencies I was working for were doing things and wanted to do things. So I had to blaze my own trail and that was exciting and that was creative. Also though, in terms of motivation, because you were kind of digging into that, why you did the triathlon and one up your buddies. For me, it was about personal freedom uh, in what I was creating, but also in just my time and in the clients that I wanted to work with and in the team I wanted to build. So for me, it was freedom. It was really the underlying motivator. Did, did you feel that there was a creative element uh, that, that was missing in your life or were you able to express that authentically through your entrepreneurship in that business? Getting into the business, being the entrepreneur, figuring out how to do all the things I didn't learn in school. I didn't go to business school, you know. I, I have a fine arts degree. Yeah. I loved that process. I also think I did it my way without all these preconceived rules. Like I didn't write a business plan. I just yeah. knew that if I did great work and I charged more than it cost me to do it, and then I could scale that, we were going to be successful and we were going to do great work. I just trusted myself and I did it. Those are the most important elements that that business plan would have included. So, so you're probably yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We've never, uh, no loans, no debt, cash yeah. business. I'm the sole owner. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, it's just about build it. Right. And we do great work. So all our clients are repeat business. So now it's about picking up the phone or checking my texts and like, oh, they want to do this again. So it's really good. Oh, you, you, you absolutely do great work. Like I, I think, um, I stayed in a choice hotel like two days before, um, Morgan, you know, set us up with, with our time today. 
and I was like, oh, okay, let me, you know, let me check out what Ward's doing. And I go, oh, I'm, I'm right in the, I was just there in this hotel. And the booking process was like the entire reason that we, that we booked it. It was because the other hotels in the area were like, man, this is clunky as heck. Why? Exactly. Screw it. We finally found one. I didn't care what the price was, nothing. I go, this was easy. Yeah. And I find out y'all yeah. did that. Go, there you go. So I know, yeah. I know you're about it. Booking workflow, ease of use. And there wasn't just one design. There were hundreds of micro designs. We designed it. We tested it. We tweaked it. We tested it. We tweaked it. We tested it. We tweaked it. Then they had a whole in-house team that took it and took it further. Uh, that's how you do great design. That's how you create something that feels so easy and simple. Actually takes a ton of work. Uh, yeah. As you know, when we were doing setting up for the podcast, it's like there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes so we can have a simple conversation. Yeah, yeah, Any absolutely. Any great experience has a huge amount of planning, work, and thought and creativity behind it. And, and to yeah, to create a, a unique experience, a powerful experience, I don't think it's possible for one person to create the entire experience start to finish. It's like some if you're planning an event, you know, yeah. you're going to need one person to design the experience of the dining at that event yeah. alone. The dining is an experience, and heck, you might even have a, a a someone who creates the food experience, the aesthetic experience, and someone who creates the serving experience. Absolutely, like you have to have expertise if you want it to be excellent. And I I, th- I see I a lot of businesses it. go wrong there. Is they've correctly identified that their business is failing to create meaningful experiences. And they go, okay, well, let's just focus on that. And that's like mm-hmm. if I said, well, just try to be more profitable. Well, geez, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> where do you start with that? Do you cut expenses? Do you increase revenue? Do you, where, there's so many different ways you can go. Absolutely. You know, for your clients, I'm sure many that were of a high net worth client, they've probably experienced a big event, like maybe a wedding where they've had a wedding planner and a great wedding yeah. planner then has a whole Rolodex of a great fireworks person, a great food person, a great venue person, a great invitations, a design person, right? And all of that's coordinated to create this special moment. And that takes a lot of time and money, um, but you can feel it and you can see it when it's done really well. Yeah, I think really great experiences, you always know them when you experience them on the consumer side, right? Yeah. You go, oh, that was amazing. How, yeah. how did you as a company, gain the ability to c- cultivate these experiences? Because I think it, it, necessar- it must be more challenging to create them and to identify the positive experiences in the design phase than it is to as a user, right? It's like, yeah. I can go to a great restaurant and know it was a great restaurant and a great meal, but I don't necessarily right. know it just by looking at the recipe whether or not that's going to taste great. You know, I don't yeah. know. And so how That's do you great. create that, especially when you're moving into the unknown, your employees may or may not have experience as users in this area? Yeah, that's a great question. So we always say we are subject matter experts in great user experience or great customer experience. And we're also very skilled at doing workshops and having interviews with our clients and key members of the client so that we get all that subject matter expertise so that we know it well enough that we can then speak with their customers and hear out loud their customers speaking what they want. And then we can recreate a better experience based on the business needs and objectives and what the customers actually want. And so we journey map it. That's what we call it. 
we will put a flow chart together that's every stage in the journey, even before they're a customer. What is the marketing communication like? What does the brand feel like? Then moving into how will they engage first as a customer? What's their first experience? How can we make that great? How can we elevate? How can we elevate that experience, make that even better? And, and then we keep going from there. Okay, what's the follow-up experience, right? So what's the awareness stage? What's the service delivery stage? And then what creates loyalty or that, that fan, that raving fan after that initial experience and make it a full-time thing or an always thing? Those are all these elements that we just examine and we analyze and we interview about and we put it all together. And that's before there's any design work done. That's just documenting it all. So if you see a journey map from us, you'll see what the process is, but we also map where the highs and lows and emotions are for the customers mm. and for those employees that are providing the service. And you can always kind of see where the, where the pain or the friction points are when you map that all together. And then once you've done that, then you know you have these key areas to start redesigning. So with our work, it's usually not project-based. It's usually more, we are the team on an ongoing basis. So companies subscribe to our team as the team that helps yeah. do all the research, do all the design, do the iteration, help with the implementation on an ongoing basis to continue to level up the quality of the experience. That seems like it would work much better. You're out, they're outsourcing the experience expertise to people who focus on being experience experts. That's what we do all day, every day. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by like the work that you do on social media, talking about entrepreneurship and leadership. And in my mind, you have immediate credibility as giving leadership advice because you lead designers. And in my experience, working with people in the creative space uh, from someone who is not nearly as creative as someone who must be to get paid to be creative, uh, they have a reputation for for being tough to work with. So ah. working with creatives, how do you corral people who need to maintain, you know, an artistic yeah. expression within their life? You know, I love I, I, I am you I can't treat them like soldiers. I don't treat them like soldiers. I don't corral them. That's the last yeah. thing I would do. I give them as much freedom to do what they need to do within very clear objectives. And we work remote on top of it. So all we say is, what's the intention? What's the delivery? When are we going to have it by? We make agreements. We make commitments. And then they either deliver or they don't. Yeah. And if they deliver and they deliver to the quality we want, that's how we deliver. Uh, that's how we manage delivery. Make and keep commitments. We have, team, we have company values. One of them is we believe in the speed of trust. We're not going to micromanage this. We're not going to yeah. call seven critiques to look at the work. We're going to hire an A-plus player, put them on the right seat on the bus, and expect them to be an amazing designer. So that's just table stakes. Like, that's the expectation. If you can't live up to that, you're not going to really be on the team very long. But if you can do that and you can deliver, right? Because sometimes there's this habit of less disciplined creatives where you know, I can't hit yeah. a deadline or my mood is going to impact my delivery or all these excuses and victim mindset and all those things. Those things just, um, while those are a persona of a stereotypical creative, that's not the kind of team that I'm going to work with. I'm going to work with people who can deliver and deliver consistently, and they're going to get paid really well, and our clients are going to be really happy. 
Like there's yeah. an expectation of excellence. You know, another company value is we love the details. Another company value is we create the future. So if someone wants to do production work or wants to complain about whether they got enough coffee in the morning, they aren't really aligned with our company values. So they, they wouldn't be hired. Um, it's really about building an A-list team and then taking care of that team. Yeah. You know, Taylor Swift, right? Incredible, prolific creator, but she gets it. Like she's working with all these crews. So she's paying her, her truck drivers of her heiress tour a hundred grand in a bonus, right? Because their life is tough, right? And they're yeah. never appreciated. And here comes this rock star who's going to make a billion dollars and she's going to cut you a check for a hundred grand, which is going to change your life as a truck driver. Like that's what you got to do to operate at a high level. You got to be willing to yeah. spend the money, but also expect greatness, right? If the truck driver's not getting the stage to Portland, they're not going to work for Taylor and not get a hundred grand. Right? Yeah. So it's just setting those expectations and then having people live into that expectation. Like, I yeah. see the potential in everybody, but they also have to deliver. And then when they deliver, like it's magic. It works. Right. Another Taylor Swift example. I mean, when if you've seen these documentaries, she walks into the studio, she woke up in the middle of the night, typed some lyrics on her phone, walks in the studio, already has all the engineers and and musicians like putting laying tracks down and trying different sounds and trying different bass lines. And she's like, I hear it this way, do this, do that. You know, when she's filming her music videos, she's first off, she's so good at making sure every crew member is like acknowledged and taken care of and complimented where appropriate. But then she's stepping in almost as the director. Like I saw this one clip where she's like, I should already be through the, the window. I should already be through the door with the lighting like this when I say that lyric, because it doesn't make sense if I'm not already through the door. Like that's letting her creative vision work, but she's got a team around her that's excellent and that has high expectations set about the quality of what's going to be done. Yeah. And, and if people are motivated by the larger vision and clearly aligned with the values, it's so much easier, yeah. right? I like that you're, right. your values, the, the ones that you just listed are so clear in their intention. And I see a lot of business owners who are like, yeah, we, we have values uh, and it's yeah. excellence and honesty or whatever. Like, well, mm. man, I don't, nobody's going to say they're dishonest. <laughs> nobody's going to say, oh, well, so thanks for the job offer. I'm going to have to turn you down, Ward. I'm a liar. Um, but right. the more specific we can be with those values, the more we can filter out employees who are or potential employees, filter out existing employees and moderate our own behavior. Like yeah. as a leader, me having very specific values for my company, it moderates my own behavior as much as it moderates anybody's behavior in the company. Should, as the leader, you, you should be living your values. A couple of things on values. One is it was bottom up for us. I did not decree the values. So we yeah. had a meeting and it was like, I don't know, 10 years ago now where we established these and it was everyone writing what was important to them. We put everyone's ideas up on the wall and then we affinity mapped and we grouped them and we came up with these eight that everyone agreed with that we thought were good there's one value that i love it's called we are always learning that gives you permission to fail right because no one's perfect people are going to make yeah. mistakes and we're we're delivering a lot of work every month for a lot of clients and it's okay if something goes off the rails because other people will help we're always learning we will we will course correct and we will get to the outcome but if you're afraid of 
failure or if you're trying to be perfect and there's this pressure on you, it's never going to happen. Like, so I know you're from Texas, right? And I, yes, I'm assuming sir. you watch, am I right? Texas, I, I just okay. enthusiastically, uh, you know, have to express my Texas pride. football, right? Of course. Okay. So you probably know the Stoops brothers. Of course. Okay. So we're, here we're we go. We're huge fans of them, but we know them. I, I am not either. <laughs> However, um, I went to the University of Arizona in Tucson and Mike Stoops was the coach at one time. Yeah. And his style, and I, I think he was so well-intended, and I think he was a great guy. I even sat next to him at a basketball game once, which was fun. He was feeding his kid Dippin' Dot. Okay, cool guy. But the problem as a leader was that you could not make a mistake for Mike Stoops. You would get yeah. berated. You would be yelled at publicly on the sidelines for hours. Okay, and how does that manifest? There's this famous football game against the rival, Arizona State. Arizona, Arizona State. And the Arizona State quarterback is literally throwing balls right at the Arizona defensive backs. Yeah. And they're dropping them. They like wow. are so scared that they're going to screw up that they're dropping interceptions. Just like literally in the bread basket. It happened like four or five times in the game. And we're like, what is going on? And and you could just see it on the sidelines. They were just getting destroyed. Right. And so like, hey, buddy, you'll get the next one. It's like, you suck. I'm benching you. You're you're an idiot, you know all that. It's like that doesn't work. So yeah. I know we got on a tangent there, but I just had to share. Oh no, I treat your team 100% disrespectfully. Agree with that. Like it doesn't work. You have to love your team, and you have to know what their pressures are, what their needs yeah. are. You said, "How do I deal with creative?" It's like I am a creative. I yeah. know I've been a designer. I've been on those deadlines. I've been trying to communicate a message effectively for the client and for the end user, and make it amazing. And you know try to be the most excellent in my craft. That's not easy to do. Oh, and what if I'm I, having a bad day? <laughs> I think you know. one of the, one of the great gifts, um, of, uh, one of the best things that can happen to someone who wants to get good at becoming a leader is to have a really bad leader, at least for a little bit. So you can yeah. see, Oh, that's not how it works. I, you were and, talking about Mike Stoops. I had a, a boss when I was in college, I worked at this ranch. I'm not doing very complicated work. You know, I'm doing ranch and work. Um, yep. Occasionally I'm going to operate a power tool. Occasionally I'm going to drive a tractor. It, it wasn't, you know, we weren't doing algebra. And uh, she was so mad every day, always. And if I ever needed help, she would say, and she's like a 75 year old lady. Do I need to come out there and do it for you? I'm like, oh, no, you don't have to wrangle these calves for me. I can figure it out. And uh, it, I remember one moment, it was the equivalent of me dropping a pass thrown right at my hands. I told her, hey, we, we don't, the wood that you've given me to create this fence, it's rotting and it's crumbling and I think we need to buy new wood. And she's yawning at me like I'm an idiot. Do you not know how to build a fence? I'm like, all right, well. And so she decides I'm going to come watch him build this fence because now I can't trust him to build it without yeah. me. So now I'm doing it. And I'm so nervous about making a mistake in front of her that I took a nail, put it in this fence and smacked the hammer with it backwards. I smacked the back end, back end of the hammer. <laughs> I forgot how to use a damn hammer because she was breathing on my neck yep. so bad. And it was Crazy. like, you know, that was it. Like I, I couldn't work right. there anymore. And think about it. I mean, in my field, highly competitive, my team's amazing probably constantly being hit up for other job opportunities, right? But most of them have stayed over 10 years, over a decade, my firm. 
because they know they're going to be taken care of. They know when things go wrong, I'm going to take care of. I mean, when the pandemic hit, it's like we were taking care of our team. So you have to have this permission to fail. You have to have this love or appreciation from your company or your leader so that you feel that you can go to war every day, go to battle and do great things. Right. And then when you do great things, you're appreciated and validated for that. Yeah. Like those are real things that really matter. They're not lip so, service that you know, some consultant's going to tell you to do to try to like up your yeah. attention. Like if you have a retention problem, you better look at the experience you're creating for your customer and for your employee. Cause not probably not great because if it is, they probably aren't going to leave. Yeah. People don't leave to get paid more. Jeez. Yeah. That, they'll use that as an excuse if they're getting mistreated. Uh, but yeah. people will quickly take a pay cut uh, to get away from bad bad leadership. How do you balance? Absolutely. So you've said, you, I agree with with what you're saying. Like you're, you're dropping wisdom for us right now. I want to get a little bit of clarity on something that I think a naysayer may say are two juxtaposing ideas. On one right. hand, Ward is saying, have high standards, you know, demand excellence. Like we want the best outcomes possible. And then on the other hand, it's okay to fail. If you fail, we're not going to scream at you like Mike Stoops or yeah. uh, that redheaded lady I worked for in Somerville County. Um, right. We're going to, hey, that's a learning opportunity. So if I'm shooting for excellence and I fail and I create something that's not excellent, yeah, you know, how, how do we balance that? Oh, if there is a consistent lack of delivery, that's not success. That's not working. That's not winning right? Um, but just to, let's just use a defensive back or a receiver example, someone who's supposed to catch the ball, right? There's a huge difference between, hey man, you dropped that pass, but you're going to get the next one. And then, you know, the quarterback that's so confident in that receiver that they go right back to him. You've seen that so many times, you know, yeah. Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills. If, I mean, almost always Diggs catches those crazy passes, those bullets. And he's so fast. He'll drop one. He'll just go right back to him and he'll point at him right after he catches it. He's like, I knew you'd get that. You know, it's that yeah. kind of lead. tip. Um, Tom Brady, same idea all the time. You know, Gronkowski would occasionally run the route wrong or drop the pass. But there was an expectation that he he would step up and, and do better. Uh, I was, I don't know if you're into soccer, Premier League, uh, my team's Manchester City. Yeah. They had a defender that did this weird he just passed it right back in the middle in front of the goal and they didn't have a goal scoring on scored on them when they had had a goal scored on them all season. It was kind of a horrible play. Did he hang his head? No. Like he adamantly went down the field, controlled the ball, took it away from a defender and set up his teammate for the game winning goal. That was just like a couple of weeks ago. So it's this idea that it's okay to fail, but there's an expectation that you won't. And I'm just, I'm just encouraging that team member and knowing that they won't. And that's always worked. And I think we see that in business and sports and life. It's like my kids, I have three kids. They aren't perfect. They're all very different. Yeah. Am I riding them? No, I'm letting each one of them be who they're supposed to be and figure it out. Like my, my wife, I remember with our oldest daughter, like our oldest daughter wanted to dress herself in weird, crazy combinations of clothing that weren't particularly attractive or aesthetic. But we didn't care. Like it was her autonomy to dress herself the way she wanted to. And that just helped her great gain self-confidence and grow and learn and figure out what works and doesn't work for her. 
we weren't set, we weren't dressing her so she'd look good in a picture. We were letting her dress herself the way she wanted to, right? It's this idea that you let someone, you trust someone, you let someone trust themselves so that you can create greatness. Like think about yeah. any great thing that's ever been done. What if that leader didn't trust themselves? What if Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Thomas Edison, what if they didn't do well with bad feedback, right? Like they just, yeah. they just persevered and they've instilled a vision and confidence in their team that they can be a part of that. And then they are. And your story about your daughter made me um, remember something that I both loved my dad for and hated him for. And that was that he gave us privileges on our birthday uh, every year. So we didn't really get gifts. We got birthday privileges. And uh, I don't remember the age. I, I want to say it was maybe 14. We got the privilege, and this was a privilege I got my younger sisters to uh, cut our hair however we wanted. At 13, nice. you're getting the haircut that dad chooses. At 14, there you go. And uh, we all screwed that one up. <laughs> we <laughs> all we all have a horrible picture with a terrible haircut. Uh, you know, I think one summer, uh, you know, I went like, Full on '90s like grunge mullet or uh, <laughs> a mohawk mullet thing. Oh wow! Not a great That's look. You know, I it, I couldn't pull it off very well. Um, but we all figured it out. Like eventually, you got to have the trust to to say, "Hey, you, you're gonna make this." Like the world is gonna give you the feedback <laughs> on whether or not yeah. this works. So but think about everything you learned from that. Oh yeah, and and I and it, I think it, it gave me the you know you, you kind of. I learned on my own, like elements of style. Maybe that's hard to tell now, but I learned by making horrible mistakes and going, oh, okay. This is instead of operating in a world of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs, I was able to carve out my own little path based on, you know, do I really like the attention of the Mohawk? No, I don't. That was more of the lesson. Not that Mohawks yeah. are bad. Right. Or not that you shouldn't have a Mohawk. It was, I'm not a Mohawk guy. If I was a Mohawk yeah. guy, maybe I could pull it off. I'm not a Mohawk guy. And I didn't like when people said, cool Mohawk. I would get embarrassed. I go, I'm such an idiot. I did this to myself. I don't want the attention. Why did I get an attention grabbing haircut? Okay. There you go. There's your lesson, 14 year old singer. So nice. you started your company, you build it up, you're, you're hiring more designers. You're, getting big jobs, being very successful. And then you start coaching and, and teaching other entrepreneurs and, and teaching at Arizona yep. State. Tell me about that process in your, um, that shift in focus. As Draw Backwards became more self-sufficient and the team was doing the great things the team should do, you know, as a leader, I need to let them do those things, did free up some time. But I've always wanted to give back. I always think, I wish the class I took was like this. I wish someone had taught me that. I wish, you know, because I had to figure it all out on my own. There were no rules. There was no textbook for how to do what I do. And I'm thinking, how can I create the class that would teach people what I know so that they could then leap forward past all the roadblocks that I had? So teaching design entrepreneurship at Arizona State University, I've been doing that for 10 years, I don't do that for the money. I mean, it takes yeah. time and effort. They don't even pay for my parking. Can you believe that? Oh, that's at the, at the largest public <laughs> university yeah. in the country. I don't even pay for my parking. But I love to teach the kids. I teach with, 
um, with Sean Coleman, who also works with me at Draw Backwards. We just love teaching that class and helping kids learn how to think about what they're passionate about, how to create a product or service around it. It's just fun. So yeah. I do it for fun. So you said, why the shift? I just wanted to have fun. And that's usually, if you look at my life and what I do, it's the pursuit of, of how can I have fun? How can I create? How can I feel good? And how can I trust myself to know what that should be? So this new thing where I'm doing the podcast, so I have the Create Forward podcast, I do some coaching and some mastermind groups. That's just to have fun and to share what I have learned with those that are interested in using creativity to create and lead and grow. Uh, it's just fun for me. You know, coming on your show, you, know, you invited me on the show. I thought, that sounds fun. I trust people that are motivated by fun uh, more than people who are motivated by a lot of other things. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was at a... Um, uh, what, what would you call it? You know, seminar speaker event. Uh, it was about um, how to show empathy towards others and listen and everything you were telling, saying you do for your employees. Like, how do you actually care for them? How do you make them feel cared for? Yeah. And this guy was like, oh, I feel, I, I do really good at that when I'm uh, selling. Okay. Hey. Why? Uh, well, because I'm motivated by the money. Hey. And I go, I hate that answer <laughs> like don't say that out loud ever again um oh, you know i want to i want to to do business with people partner with people learn from people who do what they do because it's fun not because they feel like it's going to bring them power or fame or glory or money or whatever it is yeah and yeah if you're making music because it's fun it's going to be yeah. better than somebody who's making music to i don't know Make impress money. somebody or whatever yeah. i really yeah. don't care if i ever sell a record or if I have over a hundred streams of my music, I'm really doing it for me. And if it works and people like the songs and they like the music, then I'll just figure out a way to get them more of it. Like I wouldn't go on a tour so that I would look cool and be a rock star. Like I'd go on a tour because I had people that wanted to hear my music and I would want to bring it to them. Like that yeah. would be my motivation. And I think it's funny because money isn't the motivation, but I've made a lot of money, right? But I feel like, pursuing your passion and your interest and people love to critique this one but i just believe it's true because it's true for me it's been true in my life by pursuing the things that interest me that i'm curious about that i want to discover that are fun i keep finding ways to make money so why not just do that uh if it's uh not broken don't fix that i agree 100 percent. yeah well, so. thanks so much for being here, Ward. Before we leave, what is your your ultimate tip uh, for business owners? It might end up being more than one, but first off, are you having fun, right? So I think that might just be it because that was the topic and we came to that. But, you know, one of the things I thought about when coming on the show and thinking about business leaders and decision-making, I always think about the default settings. So where are you operating from a default setting and where can you change that? So I remember when I started my business, I was just working out of like my bedroom and I would do design work and then I would have to do business related work. I actually had two desks. I found that I needed my desk to create at and I needed my desk to do business, accounting, finance, legal, whatever. And that really helped. I couldn't bring myself to do that work effectively and with focus when I was sitting at my desk where I do my design work. So wherever I had, a, where I was getting hung up or there was friction or I was operating from a way that I was supposed to be doing it, 
I felt like I wasn't really doing it the best way I could do it. So I'm always asking myself, like, am I just doing it out of the default setting or, you know, is it another, is there another way? And when and we the work default, with our client, oh. Yeah, is the default, uh, this is this just a habit I fell into or a, you know, something right. that was kind of the easy road at first and I didn't think about it? Is that what you mean by default settings? Yeah, there's a lot of ways default settings show up. That's certainly one of them. It's like, oh, we've always done it this way, so why don't we just keep doing it that way, right? That's the yeah, way businesses is, die. Motorola, yes. Blockbuster. I mean, we could talk about that's a whole episode. Um, yeah. But here's some other ones you may not think of that are default settings. Fear of failure. You could have a culture of fear of failure that you aren't really realizing because you're holding people like to the fire, like we were talking about earlier. So everyone's afraid to fail. So they never innovate. So your company never innovates because you actually have a culture and a DNA of fear of failure. That's a default setting. That's really bad. That's like people that eat candy all day, right? That's a default setting. They eat candy all day. Well, they're just not going to be fit and able to run a triathlon if they're eating candy all day, right? But, yeah. but subtle in business, right? So another one could be like groupthink. Like, oh, well, the boss thinks this and, and I think that. So that must be right. And then there's no room for another kind of opinion. Hey. I just love it when one of my team members is like, Ward, I think you're wrong. It's like, awesome. Tell me more. That's what I always say. Tell me more. Yeah. Right? I, do, I want to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. please. Yes. I love it. Right. And then I thank them later publicly and privately. Yeah. Like we need more of that. Right. But that's a default setting. Oh, we'll just go with what Ward thinks. Dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Um, I think environment, like work environment. Like what if you're working in an environment where the lighting's not right or like the air ventilation's not right or the seat air. isn't right and you get carpal tunnel or and we could go on and on and on. There's so many things you need to look at and just say, is that is that doing it the right way? And what's a better way to do that? And just look at that all the time. Uh, the sunk cost fallacy, right? Oh, well, we, we already, we're all in on this, man. We got to just keep going. Yeah. No, it might not be working. You could just stop. <laughs> yeah. We've spent a hundred thousand dollars in three months on this project. Well, yeah. <laughs> don't do that yeah. again. Exactly. I mean, I see this with entrepreneurship where if an idea isn't working and there's not product market fit, that they won't stop because that was like, they're so like their precious idea that just isn't a good business idea. Right. So that's yeah. another default yeah. setting. A default setting is the big idea. Like challenge yourself. Where am I just coming from how I've been doing it? And should I be doing it that way? And what's another path? That would be a big idea to think about. Yeah. Um, my dad is, he, one of the great things he taught me, he taught me so many, but one of them is as soon as you're comfortable, you got a problem. Like when you, yeah. when you are comfortable doing something, that is the time to really reevaluate and right. find a way to move into discomfort. Cause that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to do great work. Um, and it, that's, that's tangentially related to this default settings concept. So you're identifying all of these different symptoms of a default setting or different causes of a default setting. When you identify a default setting and you identify that it's not working, how do you find the correct setting without doing what I think most people might be inclined to do at first, which is to say, oh, well, then the opposite's the case. You know, mm. Our default setting was we're all working in the office every day, so now yeah. let's all work from home every day. That's going to be better. Right, right. Yeah, the polar opposite. 
Yeah. So you could be generally going on the right trajectory, but you know, the rudder is loose. And so you're like, you're, you know, you're not going to get to London. You're going to end up like in Spain or you're going to end up drifting. You're going to go off course. If you were to turn around, you'd be going back to Florida or New York or whatever. Like you don't want to do that. You just need to know, no, North star, this is where I want to go. We're getting off course. Yeah. How do I course correct it? Right. So it's, it's a subtle shift. It's not a major shift. So for example, we were, um, we were tracking our time, right? We track it internally just so we know. Um, but we didn't really have things categorized as well as we could. So when we would look at reports, we wouldn't really know how the time was being used. So we didn't abandon timekeeping or we didn't like mandate people had to do all this extra granular timekeeping. We just had to add like two more categories so that we could then see, oh, okay, generally, you know, we're, we're this much focused here and here. And really that's not efficient. Once we got the right categories, we could tell that's not efficient. We were able to change it. So it's just subtle course corrections. It's not craziness. It's like when you're learning to swing the baseball bat, you're not going to just throw the whole thing out. It's like, no, yeah, you have to have a swing little bit more left-handed. of a, Yeah, it's like yeah. you need a little bit more of an open stance here. It's like golf swing. It's like micro adjustments. It's not throw the whole thing out. It's like, no, you got to extend your arm or, or no, you got to keep that left arm, you know, more straight here. Or, oh, you need to keep the <laughs> golf base slightly. Do you, you call them golf micro- often? I've been learning the golf too. So okay. That's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, do you know the... Uh, I'm laughing because I thought of something I did. Do you know the juju swing? No, what's that? Oh my gosh! Don't don't even look it okay. up. It's it's <laughs> a horrendously unappealing visually golf swing. It looks completely okay. different from any other golf swing you've ever seen. And wow. so I was struggling. I mean, like I was I was golfing really poorly. I've been golfing for a few years. You know, once a week, once every two weeks. Like kind of like nice. you, I'm teaching myself. And I go, okay, I find the juju swing on TikTok. Go, oh, no. oh, that's the key. That's it. I mean, <laughs> it's just this goofball looking swing. And I try to do that. And that was the worst, like two months of golf of my life. You're right. Oh, man. I changed it too much. You don't need right. to throw out your entire, the entire fundamental basis of what you've done so far. Start right. over. Right. You could open be up, so up close. The face. Boom. You could be so yeah. close. You know, in creativity and ideas, I say this all the time, and but it's like you could decision a or b but usually like the great creative solution is just like slightly off slightly off of one of the directions you're going at you just need to tweak it slightly right makes sense that's all you need to do yeah that's perfect trust yourself have confidence in yourself but look for ways you can make those micro adjustments to get to where you need to go thanks so much for being here ward where yeah. can people connect with the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks. So for our software product, UI, UX, interface work, drawbackwards.com. Uh, Draw Backwards is the studio where we do that work. We do it in financial services, hospitality. We do it for consumer packaged goods, any industry, Draw Backwards. In terms of the creativity work that I'm doing, uh, you should look at for the Create Forward show. Uh, it's a podcast. It's also a YouTube um, broadcast. You can just follow it on Instagram at Create Forward Show. You can follow me on Instagram at Ward Andrews. And I'd love to connect with anyone there about creativity and just learn what you're doing. I'm always curious. I want to discover new stuff. So thanks, Sanger. Well, thanks, man. My takeaway from our conversation with Ward 
was what we got to at the end. The concept of default settings. Often we operate within these default settings within our business or even within our family. When it comes to a family owned business, it could be a lot worse. We need to identify what the, our default settings are and if they're serving us instead of simply saying, hey, we've always done this this way. We've always run reports this way. Our clients have always wanted this. If we can do that, we can do that well, we'll be more adaptive to change. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.